Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, civil wars are concluded, so without further ado, your hosts and the bison pups, Matt and Juniper Lightningbug, Dave and Twinkle Starchild, and of course, Devendra and Blueberry Spicehead! Wow. Uh, welcome yeah. to Republic City Dispatch. Um, we're back again with uh, the follow-up episode to Civil War Part 2. Uh, and I am Matt Patches. It's Civil Wars, again. Patches. Civil Wars. Civil Wars. Yeah, people really came after us for, for getting the plural. Well, I mean, because the are... family metaphor, it turns out, was our entire B-plot, and so we should have been more vigilant. <laughs> Luckily, that civil that Civil War was perhaps solved this episode. We'll get there. We'll get there. I am Matt Patches, again here with Dave Gonzalez. Hello. And Davindra Hardawar. Hello. And a bunch of sky, cute, adorable sky bison children. I'm not sure if I like my sky bison choice. Oh, you, wait. <laughs> I thought I was being nice giving you blueberry spice head. You don't get to choose. <laughs> they choose you. Oh, wait. That, that was the one. Okay. That was the one with Tenzin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got the, you got the, the star, the star. All right, all right. Well, we're all having tea together. I think that's the important part. <laughs> um, we should, uh, Dave. Why don't you introduce what this episode was all about, and we'll get right into it. Sure. So um, Uncle Unalak begins his trials, uh, although he's unable to find Varric, who is hiding out in a platypus bear that poops money. In one of our great visual gags of the episode. Meanwhile, at the Air Temple, Tenzin has found Iki, who is having a tea party in a cave with Air Bison pups, and Tenzin and Iki bond over the recognition, recognizing, that's not a word, that the complex relationships of a family are complex. Uh, things do not go well for Tonrock at his show trial, when he and the other male waterbenders are giving life imprisonment for planning a rebellion. Senna gets off, but against her parents' warnings, Korra intimidates the judge with a little help from Naga and learns that Unalak has been lying all along, even back when he got Tonrock banished from the Northern Water Tribe. <laughs> Plot. Korra turns against Unalak and Team Avatar uses Varric's boat to rescue Korra's dad and the members of the Rebellion. Tonrock goes back to fight as Korra heads to Republic City, hoping to get the backing of the United Forces to give the Southern Water Tribe a fighting chance. And, and then that, Eska shows up. And then a lot of crazy things. Oh, yeah, Eska. That was the scariest, most random thing possibly in <laughs> Avatar history. Um, we'll, we'll probably get there, too. But uh, before we really get into the thick of this episode, I did want to remind people that we do want people to subscribe to Republic City Dispatch on iTunes and leave us ratings and reviews. It really helps people discover the show and stir up more conversation on Korra, which is what we're all about. Um, so, guys, why don't we... I'm really curious about um, because this is a two-parter, which I'm not sure why it necessarily had to be a two-parter. Perhaps because we're you know we're capping off the themes of civil war here. But Wars. did you find this fulfilling as as a second part to the civil war um, storyline? It. I mean, to me, it felt a little uneven. I like the. Uh the stuff between the water tribe seemed interesting, although there was one point where Korra, I think, basically threatened to murder the judge. That's yeah. how I read it. That was yeah. a little scary. Yeah. Maybe a little out of weird. character. I don't know, because Korra can be very aggressive, but right. I was not expecting her to, after her father tells her, please do not act rashly, yeah. um, to go out and put the judge who just sentenced her father to death uh, in the jaws of her well, that, I mean, that's one thing, but she also literally, she says, I, you know, something, something, or I will end your life, or something like that. Mm. Like, she basically says, I will kill you. Whereas, the, uh, you know, the other thing with Naga, that could be more like a, I don't know, a negotiation tactic. 
Um, but and to me, the other the other side of the things, like everything happening on Airbender Island, that felt like a kind of a weak resolution to everything they were building up last episode. Right, and it felt just kind of standard, like oh, family troubles, and we've already went over this, so now we're going over this again. <laughs> yeah, it's symbolic, you know, going through Iki to represent uh, what her parents went through. Absolutely, uh, it's yeah. A, it's so that felt kind of weak to me. But uh, beyond that, like I, I think there were some really interesting things in this episode, um, specifically. It was hilarious. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you are a big Bolin comedy fan, so this must. I be am. Fun. I am. But even even like the very the very the way the show ends, like the way this episode ends, I it's thought was so cool. insane. Why do you think I built this boat? <laughs> and then they just zip away. Yeah. Um, after all this really heavy stuff has gone down, yeah, it, it did. It did feel a little uneven. Uh, I agree with you, and part of me thinks that maybe that's a reflection of. Cora's current state of mind. I mean, Cora's going crazy right now. Sure. She really doesn't know her place in the world. She can't trust. Like, she's been built on trust. Like, right now, basically. The what? It's sort of like terrible teens for her. Like, hmm. she's rejecting, you know, her parents, something every teenager needs to do. And she's rejecting the people who trained her, and she's looking for something different. Um, which I think, Matt, is why it reminded you of the people who found God in your high school, because it was just something so very different, a different sort of belief system. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, now I think she's finally, she was really naive, I think, for the first two episodes of the season. And now she's realizing, oh, yeah, people want to use me because I'm the Avatar. But then she swings like a pendulum yeah. in the other direction. She, I mean, she's Anakin Skywalker. Teenagers. Right. Here. <laughs> she's, the she's worst. Beyond brooding, <clears throat> beyond angst. And she, she is really retaliating in a very strange way. And I wonder if maybe it'll have larger ramifications if there's some dark spirit like toying with her, pushing her to the edge to draw no, her I in think that's, to the I, dark I hope, side. I hope yeah. that's not true. I, I hope think, that's not true. I think we're in a Harry Potter book five situation where <laughs> you're like, why don't you just talk to Dumbledore? Like everybody around you obviously has the answers, Harry. Get out of your head. And you're just going to have to deal with the fact that he's a teenager. And It's so funny that you say, uh, you mentioned Harry Potter because I kept thinking about Harry Potter throughout this episode from the like catching Unalak, a.k.a. the dark arts teacher who's obviously bad and, and finally confronting him in a magical duel in the hallways of this castle-like structure. Oh, uh, we have a th- there's an interesting comment <laughs> from uh, uh, Love Waffle on our talkback post that I wanted to bring up right there where it says, Cora, you fought your uncle in a hallway made out of bricks. You had to chuck a fireball at him instead of, say, earthbend a cocoon of bricks around him. <laughs> hey, these are in-the-moment decisions. Yeah, doesn't have all the answers. I mean, I, I I guess to answer the original question, it did feel uneven to me. It, but it sort of felt like the only reason they did this is because they needed to do the Tenzin family thing, and they mm-hmm. needed to move the plot forward uh, down in the Southern Water Tribe. And mm. so that it, rather than just have like an episode on Air Temple Island, they sort of mix these sort of things together. The weird part about it, it makes it, I guess less successful is that uh, I don't I don't know if juxtaposing those two things against each other really helps because Korra right. is so plot driven and so spontaneous yes. and Aang's is or not Aang I'm sorry Tenzin's is so <laughs> uh contemplative or it like they could get so much character across in one boomy talks to Aang statue scene oh my gosh that that, that <laughs> scene moved me to tears i love that scene yeah so where's that that efficiency in the rest of my storytelling is what I felt about Civil Wars Parts well, 1 and 2. It's interesting that Brian wrote Civil Wars Part 1 and Michael 
wrote, uh, wrote Civil Wars Part Two. I wonder how that dynamic really worked, um, mm. and if uh, going away and doing their own episodes kind of created uh, more cracks than the 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 gelled together story we're we're used to. Um, but the, again, they would write them together. Yeah, like if they had planned these out two together, they're both taking writing credits. Who knows what those credits actually mean? But right, right. Um, I certain. I mean, part of me, I'm totally with you. This is kind of a, the most sporadic episode uh, of of Legend of Korra that we've seen. But again, I do feel like that um, chaotic energy is very reflective of Korra and her current state of mind. Um, I feel jumbled, and I feel I, I feel being stretched in different directions the way Korra does. Um, you know, having no one to trust anymore. Book yeah. one was all about trust. You know, I meet these new friends, and is Asami good? She's good. Well, she's part of Team Avatar now, and I always have tens in here, and there's the bad guy he has a he's a mask i know exactly what he looks like we're gonna kick his butt we're gonna beat him solve all the problems and this one's like what is the solution because still as as we reveal unalak to have ulterior motives you know he's he has these creepy sinister lines you know i'm sorry Corey, you'll never see your father again or uh no i don't need you you've served your purpose and it's like what does that mean Mm -hmm. and i still don't see him as the bad guy in this whole thing because he makes so much sense to Korra when he's talking about his plans and why the, his actions need to happen to help the world. You know, I, if you start I mean, this war, the dark spirits right. will annihilate the South. Well, what does that mean? He might be right. And that's really confusing. Uh, see, that, I, I, I don't I'll, think Amon yeah. was ever clear cut bad. Well, I mean, not towards the, not until the very, very end. But to me, like, he always seemed like a character who uh, season one was exploring something really interesting, like the sort of pushback from the humans who feel kind of, I don't know, uh, subservient to all the people with bending powers and everything that I think tapped into a really interesting fear. And, uh, you know, a really interesting aspect of this world because in this season, we're doing it, too, where the non-bending children of Aang kind of feel uh, (laughs) kind of feel a little left out. They Mm. feel, you know, not as good. So I like that the first season kind of explored that. And to me, the, the bigger problem with this season is that Korra is just kind of an idiot. I think that's, I mean, the first couple episodes, like, okay, she's naive. She doesn't understand what her uncle could be doing. But there's so many instances in this episode where she is just not reading the tea leaves in any way, like, expecting her parents to get a fair trial. But Tenzin's not with her. Don't you feel like that is part of it? That she Maybe. doesn't have a guide anymore? The guide that she thought was helping her is now an adversary of hers. And that I mean, must make her... Not really an adversary, I guess, but it she feels a lot more reactive this season. And she, uh, I don't know, I feel like after everything that happened in the first season, she'd be a little smarter, a little more suspicious about people and what they want. And, uh, you know, in the end, it's always about a fight for power, you know? Right. So wouldn't she be a little more aware of that? Uh, th- see, the weird thing to me is that it's there's so much uh, uh, like plot to fit in that it feels like extending the Korra plotline over how much time that they're saying it's taking right. makes her sort of ignorant. Like I have the feeling like when I get, you know, the Blu-ray for book two and sit down and watch the first, you know, two hours that it's going to feel much more like Korra goes to a festival, has everything she thought she knew about her own personal training ripped out from under her and tries to gain <laughs> her feelings. But 
it's uh, juxtaposed against like Bolin having a long enough relationship with Eska that she would get engaged to him, and like these weird things where it's like the Southern Water Tribe's been occupied, but no one's like treating. They're still treating it like it's semi sort of like normal and peaceful. Like I'm right. surprised that everybody watched that trial, like basically <laughs> where, you know, the invading force puts the current, you know, chief on trial and has no evidence and everyone's just like, This is how things go in the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah. Man, if Yakone was there, it would have been blood bending like crazy. <laughs> That's right. And, but but it's, it seems, yeah, it seems me, weird. Like we're seeing a lot of convoluted plots things happening like things happen because the plot requires it you know what this reminds me of and the three of us can relate um we've all seen the movie prisoners which oh i was thinking of that which is out (laughs) in theaters right now which also reminds me of the show the killing so if you've seen that you're on the same page too. (laughs) well of course um but something that prisoners does which is a you know a procedural drama about a, a a man whose daughters are kidnapped and he goes crazy trying to find the culprit thinking he's found someone go you know kidnapping that guy torturing him while there's this detective on the other side of the story trying to mm-hmm. solve things and being possibly the worst detective of all time hey. um because he more like worst father of all time <laughs> well he's he's every everyone in this movie the detective is trying any... to help him anyway <laughs> you can listen by the way listeners listen to our reviews what uh on the slash film cast and your podcast as yes, well we, we both we both dived into yeah. the problems in this movie but the but the point i'm, I'm really making here is that they mm-hmm. seem to ignore the major facts about the case right. they're trying to solve or, or, or the drama they're trying to to uh, right. understand and, and deconstruct, I guess because the movie should be feature length, um, because they need right. to miss clues in order to reveal them later. Uh, and, th- and this and this two-parter of Korra, I really liked Civil Wars Part 1 mm-hmm. um, because it was very talky and it was very emotional and it was about where are all these characters at this point. And this episode uh, feels a little more like the movie Prisoners where – you know, maybe we should have known these things before. Maybe we should have solved this crime before. Maybe we shouldn't have gone, <laughs> followed this red herring down this path. You know, wake up, kind of. Um, well, this isn't like the problem with that movie is it felt to a certain point kind of convoluted, kind of like it was cloying at you too, right? Because uh, certain, plot, it, it's all about forcing a plot versus letting the plot grow organically or happen naturally. And this episode just felt like a lot of instances of like Cora threatening to kill. Um, first verbally threatening to kill the judge, then actually having Naga attack the judge. Like that seemed, certain things seemed out of character. Certain things just seemed far too convenient or inconvenient for no yeah. reason at all. I mean, the interesting thing is that the, in the episode where Unalak supposedly reveals the truth, he also goes on to say a whole bunch of things, and I'm like, so are those things true? He's like, I don't need you for the Northern Portal. Uh, you've already done your thing. And it's like, so you didn't need... So what's the truth? Uh, and I don't think we have enough episodes <laughs> left for like all of those things to be lies. So it's going. Ah. It's a weird storytelling position where they're, you know, in one scene, Korra could put a guy's head in Naga's mouth, and everything that comes out of his mouth is absolutely the truth. And then she goes right. back to the guy that's been lying, and he supposedly reveals his lie and then starts telling the truth. But we still don't even know if that's the truth. And right. now we're about to go do this whole United Nations Coalition of the Willing storyline. <laughs> and so it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's I, a I tight think rope. that there are many cat owls still in the bag, and we Ooh, probably could have uh, let, let one or two loose uh. um, by this point. But I, I, again, 
you know, Korra's storyline in this episode may be the weakest, but I, like Devendra said, I think there's a lot to like in this episode and a lot that yeah. really works. And most of that is the Varric Bolin Mako stuff that's and and Glad Asami Asami's back. Yeah, she's Where got the glove. Where was she last episode? Where that's was she? Weird. That's a great she question. Hanging out somewhere. <laughs> she was still making sure that the books were checked and that uh, her her industry, her entrepreneurial endeavors were. She's were still I love Varric Bear. Varric Bear was great. Yes, it was so odd. It was the that strangest thing. Bear is pooping money. Ping Ping, the platypus bear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I thought it was a little strange that Mako, being a policeman, would be mm-hmm. okay with Varric um, giving Bolin money to bribe. I think Mako had stepped away. Yeah, this is one of those hard-nosed detective stories where it's like, I'm putting down my badge. We're going yeah. after this guy. But Mako didn't know. I don't think Mako was even there. Oh, no, he really Varric actually stepped Bolin. away. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Mako, would have, out of the scene. Mako would have stepped in and been like, listen, Bolin doesn't know how to bribe. If you need someone to bribe... <laughs> Give it over here to Mako. <laughs> Very bad at bribing. Very bad at Bolin. Indeed. I also, um, I'm not quite sure the final, like the whole the whole point of this episode is to show that, you know, Korra breaks out her family and these rebels and it will likely lead to the whole civil war actually happening. To me, that never felt like uh, there were so many ways to avoid this. For example, right. bringing the judge to the attention of everybody in the village and having him admit that he was under, you know, under her uncle's thumb, and uh, kind of making all this up. Like there are ways to deal with this situation without just uh, keeping information hidden from other characters and uh, letting letting bigger conflicts. Right? Arise. Does the North really want to get into a civil war with the right. South if they knew Unilock was had she, bad blood with his brother? And- she knows how she could avoid this. Like Corin knows that she has the information she has to point out to everybody that this whole everything that we're on right now is kind of a construct by Unlock. And if you're not doing anything with that information, that just that makes me feel even worse for her and her mm-hmm. character. I do feel like it it the causation for that is not having a great mentor or having a teacher or someone she can trust. Not having Tenzin in the picture. You know if Tenzin was standing mm-hmm. there this whole time, he'd be like, well, no, Korra. You gotta go meditate and talk to the spirits. <laughs> but he was never a good investigator, either. <laughs> like, her friends are there. They, are, I mean, in season one, they did most of the detective work and the Scooby Gang type stuff, you know? And it's like, they're there. She could... I, I, did she... I think she did reveal it to her friends, what Ian Locke was doing. Um, and it seems strange to me that nobody there thought of the bigger political way of you know framing this whole thing as something that could avoid a civil war, basically. That's true. That's true. But it did make for a pretty cool action scene. <laughs> yes, which is <laughs> really – that's did. really what we're Multiple asking for. Scenes. I mean, especially since that's what this animation studio seems to be good at is those one – the one action scene in an episode – I mean, the, the plane stuff, I thought, was pretty cool. It actually reminded me a little bit of, um, there was an episode in season one of The Last Airbender, uh, Imprisonment, where they go and get the Earthbenders off the, off the prison ship. Mm-hmm. Um, just that infiltration whole thing. And, but obviously, in the core world, we have crazier set pieces. So, of course, they're jetting in an airplane using <laughs> firebending jet propulsion and then water bubbling and uh, who, just crazy bending. I love seeing the, the rules of bending stretched as much as possible to see what right. possibilities it brings. Yeah, but well, we got to be, be careful with that, though. 
Because we're in a place where basically if Korra wanted to, she could have just taken away Unalak's bending for a year and given it back to him. But, you know, let's not <laughs> oh let's not tease the, the bending rules. It could happen. Well, what I keep wondering about, I know that there's like a dark spirit character um, that might be coming up. And oh, Do you want to talk about that comment that was on your vulture piece? Mm. My vulture piece? Uh, the last, your... your vulture piece last you have week to remind me what it is your recap somebody wrote in saying that he'd seen the first nine episodes and that there was a middle bad or a medium bad that was going to oh, really yes. surprise us well i know that the um the woman who voiced uh azula comes back as some sort of spirit creature so that's why i keep saying like unalak doesn't seem to know what he's I mean, we don't know what Unalak is really up to, and he doesn't seem as nefarious as what could be coming out of the portal, or like what that line that he drops about he we don't need he doesn't need Korra anymore. What that really means, um, and I hope that means more spirits. I'm kind of aching to get more of what we saw in the first two episodes with like spirit action, um, and the idea of having a civil war, going back to Republic City, getting the president, maybe General Iroh shows up. Um, for some big showdown, doesn't seem. I'm hoping spirits run interference here and do <laughs> annihilate. I mean, I hope she. I hope by starting this war, they do come out and we have a different type of conflict than might be what is obviously being set up here. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. Yeah. I've seen some Tumblr theories that the old woman in the fire garb we've seen in the trailer is going to end up being Azula. <laughs> Because um, she's, she's also in her 80s if Zuko's alive and in his 80s right, and right. Azula is potentially alive and in oh her boy. well unless you know the search part 3 ends in a way I'm not expecting that changes everything um, I, well, I did want to touch one more time we kind of got into this but I did love as, as kind of slight as the airbender temple stuff was I just thought it was such amazing writing um, that I wanted to touch upon the the scene between Tenzin and Iki playing with these um, sky bisons. There's just this like weird natural dialogue that I rarely hear in animation. Um, from her whispering to the sky bisons and having a one sided conversation, um, or later when we see Boomy talking to the statue. All this family stuff. I'm so I'm so moved by it, and I'm more intrigued mm-hmm. by it than even the major plot that we see. And I'm wondering if you guys feel the same way. Is, is this like writing that's on par with the best writing we see on television or am i crazy i I mean it's also kind of tapping into our love for the original series right we want to see we want to fill in the blanks of what happened here so this is a kind of a indirect way to offer some fan service without giving us a ton of flashbacks and i think it's working out pretty well um especially when we get glimpses of their lives together and of older ang and uh what like the just, just something simple like that portrait that they showed like that, I, I think that sort of thing. Like it, it, the fans really eat it up. We really love it. And it does tell us something about those characters. And honestly, I hope we don't get more flashback scenes to explain what's going on. I'd rather these characters relate, you know, how they lived with Aang, how they grew up. I think. I mean, I would say before we compliment the writing, we should really compliment the voice actors first because the (laughs) writing's kind of really on the nose and it's Mm -hmm. the delivery that I think you're hooking into patches because Iki's voice is amazing. J.K. Simmons manages to go from something really goofy to something really, you know, stick up your butt and, you know, allow you to feel that transition. But things like, I guess family is difficult, isn't it? Is not good writing just on its face. (laughs) 
It's tough to be the middle child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's repeat that imagery with uh, Iki and her friends, and then with the bison babies, like. Yeah. And when is Janora going to go in the spirit world, or at least tell somebody <laughs> she saw a glowing statue in the Hall of Avatars? That's, that's true. That seems important. Well, I guess, Dave, why I was saying that I thought the, the writing was kind of top-notch here is because, and, and this might be me wishing we had more of this on, on network television or cable, we, we don't have family shows anymore. And, mm. you know, unless, I mean, Seventh Heaven. You didn't watch the Michael J. Fox show last week, apparently, <laughs> because that is delightful. Really? But, I mean, uh, still, that's about, that's like kitschy sitcom uh, comedy. Modern Family, like, there, we, we have a lot. We have this a lot. Isn't now and again, great. those are all sitcoms. Wait, you know? wait, we, we, so what, you want, like, like, the secret life of the American teenager? Yeah, <laughs> but better than ABC Family Show. <laughs> I don't know, we need something to remind us what family the ups and downs of families are and i think that this season of of cora is doing actually a really good parenthood job. you you just need to watch more parenthood. tv yeah dude seriously like parenthood is probably the best example because it's one of the best shows on tv right now word sorry uh, sorry matt <laughs> no problem <laughs> your tv inexperience <laughs> matt makes statement everybody else <laughs> fair enough fair enough well, I think we've covered most of this episode. What were your favorite moments? Let's let's get into hyper specifics here. Devendra, I'm shooting this to you. What did you love about this episode? I loved Platypus Bear. <laughs> Everyone I loved everything loves Platypus Bear. with Platypus Bear there. The action stuff is great. You know, I always like seeing how they want to how they use airbending and or just bending in different ways. Um, like as we've talked before in the podcast, I think it's, it's kind of fun. Like it must be so much fun to think of these scenarios and to build them up. Um, it's sort of like they've built a role playing game world. And now it's like, what cool things can we have these characters do while still keeping them grounded? Devinder's so, going to keep mentioning role playing games. Role until playing someone invents games. this legend of Korra. It's, not, it's actually not that tabletop. Hard. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the way the way games work is that you know you take a basic system and you just write you write around it. Well, we just gotta find one that isn't the D twenty one that we found, which is fine. But White Wolf, yeah, we'll never let this go. I did want to say that I on Platypus Bear since uh-huh. this is coming up a lot. There's a moment where um, Koromako and Asami have already left, and Bolin and Varric are. Um, driving the boat into the, the dangerous waters and they're caught by two guards and Bolin gives <laughs> uh, Varric and the platypus bear a big hug. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just the weirdest little kind of throwaway gag, but it's perfect animation. I love it. The guy's it. like, you're not going to believe yeah, this. Yeah, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> While we're on the platypus bear, I want to say one thing that kind of irked me, which is just like, no honey in a platypus bear? That like, okay, guys, first of all, bears and honey is something that Disney <laughs> sold to you with Winnie the Pooh. It, I'm sure it happens, but it's not a thing. Second of all, we don't know anything about platypus bears if they're like real bears. And third of all, we know real bears exist because we've seen them in the Earth Kingdom in the first series. So. We should mention that Dave has a long history, well, since the movie Brave Bear-hater. came out, um, that he has some problems with animated bears. You're, you're a bear hater, Dave. Yeah. Just get, get it right. They're cool animals. You don't need to make them weird by your stupid neatness. Poor Julie. Your question is, what was Julie doing down there? Yeah, poor Julie. I feel bad for this woman. Are we? Are we? I feel bad for her now. I feel like they're referencing something that you can't talk about in the kids' show. So, oh, oh. <laughs> or this podcast. Yeah, Dave. What did you love about this episode? Um, uh, let's see. 
I mean, obviously, I'm on Pabu watch, so his Eska-inspired water tribe, Northern Water Tribe outfit was amazing, and his super adorable. His his look. Um, is that what I want? No, I really my favorite part of this episode was just the Boomy scene existing on its own, where he said he's trying his best to save the world, and you just want to hug Boomy. Aww, it's just a great character. Just one line. And, like, we barely know the guy. His only, like, line last season was woohoo. And, like, still, I feel like I feel closer to him right now than I'm feeling to Mako. I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. I I thought that that scene was really delicate and um, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, there's no reason to pick up with Boomy at that moment. Yes. And that speaks to the sporadic nature of this episode. But Mm -hmm. it, it really moved me. And so did my favorite moment, which was seeing this adorable photo of Aang and Katara yeah. and the fam, it, I, I, I had to like rewind and pause and kind of bask in the glory of this, this photograph. Um, it was just so cute. They're just cute. giving us crumbs is the thing. They're giving us crumbs <laughs> of what actually happened and we're eating it up. But I know. And I, it might, maybe it's a ploy to kind of distract us from like whatever's going on with Korra right now. Um, but that's fine. I, I, I ate it up. And then, wait, we have to talk about this crazy ending. Eska, <laughs> Furious. I mean, is this something I should worry about? Is this going to come back? Is this a plot point? I do feel like this will come back at some point. Yeah. I mean, she is enraged. <laughs> some people were saying that uh, Bolin created the next Azula just then. And she had Azula eyes and she was coming after them. I can't imagine that's a plot point, though. That's not. I, I that's just not coming after them in the next episode. Right, it's tough right. to imagine how much they're going to do with the story because it it started off as kind of a gag, and it's always felt like a gag. And even now that they're kind of not engaged anymore, I guess. Yeah, I, it doesn't I, feel legit to me. I say don't count the twins out. We still don't <laughs> know what their deal is, and. Whether they're, you know, some sort of reincarnated spirit or one person <laughs> split into two diametric opposites or something. Anything the twins do, I think we're going to have to deal with because I think they're the, they're the key. Any sort of or doubling a, in the show is the key. Or they're a lady in the tramp reference. Are they the Siamese <laughs> cats? Uh, even know. if Maybe we don't, all... please. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's all just animation Easter eggs. Um, and we, uh, speaking of animation Easter eggs, I'm guessing Blueberry, Spicehead, Princess Rainbow, Twinkle Star Child, and Juniper Lightning Bug are My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic jokes. <laughs> right? It has they to sound be. like them. Yeah. It has to be. Uh, I think that about wraps things up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Republic City Dispatch. Why don't we tell people where they can find us? Davindra? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about technology every day at VentureBeat.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com. Dave. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first part DA70, which is also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news at Latino-Review.com and weekly talk about pop culture on the podcast Operation Kino, which is also Mr. Patches's podcast. Oh, it's me. And uh, yes, I'm Matt Patches. I am on the internet writing uh, every day and putting everything on MattPatches.com, which is my Tumblr. Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And remember, you can follow Republic City Dispatch on Twitter at RC Dispatch. We're on Facebook. We're obviously on Tumblr, RepublicCityDispatch.com. And please leave a review or rating or, or comments on iTunes. You know where to find us. Subscribe. And we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.